This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Many of you sent messages of uh, encouragement, uh, letting me know you're praying as I prepare to speak this morning from God's Word. I appreciate that. Uh, here at this congregation, I know all the men strive to the best of our ability to preach God's Word with humility and uh, that it's with boldness and it's truth. That's, that's our goal. So. And that's my prayer this morning as well. And I would encourage you that as I have opportunity to stand and speak before you this morning from God's Word, that you study it out yourself. Never take my word for the Gospel. Right? Always compare it to God's Word. Make sure that you hold all of us speakers accountable for the things we speak in this pulpit. Anytime we listen to somebody on the radio or... Let's, let's hold those people accountable to God's Word. We have that responsibility to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So let's pause and pray real fast. Father, uh, as was prayed by many members here, that this morning you'd be glorified. I pray that this morning as we open your Word, that you'll give us wisdom to understand it, to a desire for it, a longing for it, as if it was water in a dry and thirsty land. Let it be nourishment to our souls and give us great health. Help us to rightly divide it this morning and truly open our hearts and let it examine us. Thank you for this time of refreshing and this freedom that we have to open your word, to speak it, to proclaim it, and to enjoy it. I pray that's the case for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Oddly enough, I guess not odd, but I thought David was going to steal my lesson last Sunday, so there for a minute I was a little upset with him, but it passed. So strangely, David spoke briefly about our topic this morning, and then Levi, our guest speaker, even visited it a little bit Wednesday night, which is... So I was like, okay, I'm on the right track. It was, it was encouraging. And it wasn't snakes. Uh, but if you remember, and if you read through the Gospels, the whole thing is, is Jesus' interaction with certain groups. And one of those groups is the Pharisees. And if you'll recall, at one point, Jesus says, referring to the Pharisees, he calls them a brood of vipers. A brood is like an offspring. Imagine like a, a mom viper and, and a nest full of little baby vipers. Wow. Imagine if Jesus looked at our church this morning and said, you brood of vipers as a collective bunch. That's a scathing review. Well, he did that with the Pharisees time and time again. I truly wanted to understand Jesus' contempt for the Pharisees. 
I had in my mind this idea that these are, these are a bunch of bad dudes, you know, but I, I don't know that I, I can't say that I stand up here today truly understanding it fully, honestly, but I wanted to dig in and understand why time and time again did Jesus have such this, this scathing review of this group of people? And I found it very interesting. So I want to share that with you this morning. So when we look at you brood of vipers, he, he has a lot of names for them throughout the Gospels in his dealings with them. I wanted to answer ultimately this question, this honest question, it was honest with me. What was so bad about the Pharisees that they earned this reputation? What was so bad about I honestly couldn't answer that in a very specific way before. Hopefully I can answer that now, this morning. That's my goal. So we're going to kind of skim through some interactions with Jesus. We're going to pinpoint some specific areas that they, they lacked or struggled or that they were found guilty in. And then we'll dig in a little bit more after we skim through some of this. So let's read Matthew 15, 1 through 9. It says, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus, from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? And notice some of the key phrases here. And we'll get into this deeper in a little bit, but why do your disciples always trying to pin Jesus? Why why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? And why do they do the things that they do? For they, they don't wash their hands when they eat. An honest question, maybe, for them. And he answered them and said, Why? Do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father and mother, oh, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of prophesy of you when he said this people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me in vain or emptiness they do worship me so their worship to to Jesus or to God was empty void of substance teaching as doctrines the commandments of men so here we find very basic that the highlighted why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. We find here that one of their grievances in Jesus' eyes was that they would teach the tradition over the Word of God, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, again, realize with me that they were not aware of this. Right, The Pharisees were not the Pharisees in their own eyes. They did not recognize this. Keep that in mind. They didn't see what Jesus saw in them. They weren't able to recognize that. Does that make sense? It wasn't obvious to them that they were the Pharisees that we speak of. They thought wholeheartedly that keeping these cleansing rituals, we'll get into that, were super important. So they, they had some, they seriously pondered, why would these disciples not wash their hands when they came to eat? So number one, what was so bad about the Pharisees is that they placed human tradition above and customs above the scriptures, above 
the word of God. Matthew 23, 1-4 says, And Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' feet, and so do and observe whatever they tell you, but don't do what they do. But don't do what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move one finger. Scathing review. Interesting that he says, do and observe what they tell you. Do and observe what they tell you. So all that the Pharisees said wasn't wrong. Not all of it was wrong. But do not, what were the works that they did? For they preach, but they do not practice. So their preaching wasn't always wrong. It wasn't always bad. It was their actions. Matthew 23, five verses here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, but you have neglected. Uh, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So they would have an herb garden and they would literally tithe a percentage of their herbs as a, as a protection. Like, God, we have really sacrificed. We have, we, have, we have kept the law so well that we've even tithed 10% of our herb garden to you. That's, that's the level of uh, piety that they wanted to have, honestly. But he still calls them hypocrites because they have neglected what is referred to as the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. They have neglected those. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This group of men had no idea that that's how they looked. They had no idea that they were like a tomb, all dressed up on the outside, decorated, nice, maybe a garden, flowers planted around it, but on the inside, they were as if they were dead men's bones, rotting carcasses on the inside. And they had no idea this is a mask that would have been used in Roman time. And the word hypocrite actually derived from this mask. When this word hypocrite is used, it's referencing a mask that would have been worn in a play. And he's saying, you guys are a bunch of fools that put on masks and parade around as something that you're not. 
you hypocrites. He says, you're pretenders, you're actors. Not at all what you seem to be. He uses this, this phrase, this word, because he knows that they would understand how masks were used in Roman theater and the point that they were stage acting in a spiritual sense. Fifteen times in the book of Matthew alone, Jesus addresses them as mask wearers, as actors, pretenders. And they had no idea. They had no idea they were pretenders. The hypocrite always spares himself, but is merciless on his demands on others. So what was so bad about the Pharisees? Number two, they were full of hypocrisy. They were actors on a stage. Luke 18, 9-14 <clears throat> He also told his this parable to some who trusted in themselves, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, which a tax collector at that time, uh, based on your profession or other reasons, you may be considered a they would lump you into that as an outsider, a sinner, based on your profession. A tax collector was one of those. So I thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give all that I, I give tithes of all that I get, even my herb garden. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 16, 14 through 15, the Pharisee, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Romans 10.3 says, For being ignorant of, their, of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And in John chapter 7, there's an exchange there. It says, The Pharisees answered them, He's in dealing with a crowd of people that were wondering, having, that had questions, have you also been deceived by Jesus? Have any of the other authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? So this crowd wonders about Jesus, and they said, well, guys, listen, have the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. So how dare you come to us, us Pharisees, and ask, you know, if Jesus is legit, have we believed no, of course not. So then he's not. They were the authority. And they, as we read in Luke 16 there, they were the justifiers of themselves. So what was so bad about the Pharisees? Number three, they were self-righteous. 
Matthew 23, 5 through 6. They do all their deeds to be seen of others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. This is the type of people they were. They would bind verses on their body and they would have, which would be phylacteries and the, the fringes on their robes, decorations. They would make those things known and seen that they might be prestigious and looked highly upon by common people. Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you, have, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father sees in secret will reward you. What was so bad about the Pharisees? They served God for man's recognition and praise. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Matthew 23 13 and 15 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of God in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell than yourself. <laughs> That's crazy. You go out, you try to proselytize these, these heathens, these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people as an act of godliness. You bring them into your fold, and not only do you keep yourself out of heaven, but you keep them out too, and you make them twice as much of you, as you, a, a child of hell. I, I, that's strong. Why? What made the Pharisees so bad? Why, why so many exchanges with the Pharisees? So what was so bad about the Pharisees? <clears throat> Number five, they hindered the faith of others. They kept people from serving and honoring God. Even though they believed wholeheartedly that their proselytizing of people was to bring them into the fold of God. So, that's, that's to paint a picture for us and to prove how Jesus looked on the Pharisees, right? We, we all pretty much knew that. You say, well, we've read those verses. I knew the Pharisees were bad dudes. But now what I want to look at is some history into the Pharisees. This is what I wanted to study. This is what I wanted to understand more and wonder if, if the Pharisees were always bad dudes, you know, how did they get to this place of contempt? How did they get to be so evil? And this is what I found very interesting, the history behind the Pharisees. I'm no uh, historian, 
I'm not smart enough to be one, but I can share with you what I learned. Number one, the, the Pharisee, the word Pharisee, Pharisee likely comes from the Hebrew word perushim, meaning separate ones. Uh, they were they separated themselves because they were more pious than the common folk, uh, those who did not adhere to certain things. They were separated. Pharisees were so. This is in, we see a lot of different or a few different groups in Jesus' time period: scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees. The scribes would have been more upper class elitist. They would have been the ones who uh, were highly intelligent or thought of to be highly intelligent. Pharisees, however, could have been scribes. They could not have been scribes. More often than not, they were likely common people who had moved over here into this camp. They had become part of this religious political organization called the Pharisees. But they were not necessarily scribes, and they weren't necessarily elite. They weren't wealthy, which made them different than the scribes and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were priestly, and they were wealthy. They were the upper class, if you will. They didn't condescend. They didn't go down to the, to the common man. The Pharisees, however, did. They dealt with the common man, and tried to actually proselytize them. <clears throat> Their roots go back to a group of devout Jews uh, who went up against leaders that sought to destroy Judaism. They uh, desecrated the temple. They, and so this group of, of Jews stood up against evil kings, dictators that were going to try to destroy Judaism. And so they fought against it. They would even fight against their own fellow Jews who had become Hellenized or had accepted Greek culture and started to actually worship pagan gods. So we see this group of warriors. They, they had their find, original findings or when they were founded was, was to stand up for godly principles. They, didn't, they saw their fellow mankind as they had been taken over by different nations assimilating into Greek culture. And they stood up against that. They, they fought. They, they would, as if to go to war, to uphold what they thought and what was God's standard. Right? So that's not bad. Would you agree? They're not horrible for standing up for God's principles. They wanted to keep the Torah. They wanted to keep God's laws. That was important to them. So much so that they would go to war and be willing to risk their lives and the lives of their family in order to stand up for these principles. Around 70 AD, the second temple was destroyed, which led to a time frame where they referred to it as uh, rabbinic Judaism. This is important because throughout history, when there was no temple, the, the Jews had to somehow figure out a way to continue on with their worship of God without the temple, without being able to make temple sacrifices. And at times, didn't even have priests that could do those things for them. So they had to figure out how to continue on with honoring God, uh, doing sacrifices, or at least understanding the importance of sacrifices. This time frame, at, after 70 AD, after the second temple was destroyed, they would... I have written here the study of the text. So they wouldn't actually go in, because they didn't have temple a temple then, 
they would look at what they did in the temple and they would study the text. And they believe that, well, we don't have, we, we don't going to make sacrifices for our sins like in temple time, temple days. So what we do to have forgiveness of our sins is we study the sacrificing in the temple and we learn about it and we apply it to our lives the best we can. So they were very uh, strenuous at studying and learning and understanding uh, number one, the Torah, and number two, something called the tradition of the elders. Also, you may have heard the Talmud. It was, and this is where it gets really interesting to me. I know, hopefully it's not boring you to death. I know history isn't great, but this is where it became fascinating. And this is, explains a lot about the Pharisees, okay? So they had the, the law given to Moses. So what they did, because imagine you are under the priest, and the priest tells you what to do, and they tell you how to be holy, tell you how to live. Well, in times in history when they didn't have that, they had to figure it out on their own. And so they would, uh, they didn't want to transgress God's commands. So what they did was they created a written or an oral law that was eventually written down that would help protect God's law. So imagine a fence that's up to protect something. And that was God's law. God's law is to protect the people from not being God's people anymore, right? He wants us to be His people. So he, God would put up a fence and say these rules, these commands... Well, what they did was to protect that so that you didn't get anywhere near that fence, they would put another fence around that fence. And that was the oral law. That's starting to kind of make sense where we get some of the mindset of the Pharisees. So, and, but I want you to understand that it wasn't, initially, it wasn't evil. The intention behind it was not wrong. They thought if we can safeguard this, this treasure, with this other fence, then we can protect people even more and not risk them falling away from the living, true and living God. So their intentions were not wrong. I want us to understand that. They had really, really, really good intentions of protecting themselves and the Jewish people from becoming Greeks, heathens, pagans. Their expectation and standard was that of temple priests. So what they did, the Pharisees, where they, they started to go off, in my opinion, was since they didn't have the temple anymore and they didn't have the priest, the priestly order, what they did was they studied what the priest did, what the priest wore, because the priest had a specific set of guidelines in temple worship, right? It was very specific by God. Well, this common group of people, the Pharisees, looked at how the, the, the priests would act, their, their washing rituals, their cleanliness rituals, and they tried to take those priestly rules and precepts by God and give them to themselves and all those who would be proselytized. Does that make sense? So basically, they wanted everybody to be like a priest. And they held that certain standard. And again, the idea was, if we can be priestly, then we can be more godly. But naturally with that, 
there became this separation of we are priestly and you are not. You are less than and we are better. It naturally happened that way. And I believe that's how we have the modern day, or at least in Jesus' time, this scathing review of the Pharisees. I, I can't stress enough how important it is to realize that initially that was not their, their goal was not to become what they became. Their goal was to honor God. It was to keep His commandments. It was to protect their fellow brothers, their fellow Jews, from becoming pagans. Their intentions were great. They actually had quite a few admirable qualities. Uh, they weren't all that bad. At least not from the start. <clears throat> One of their admirable qualities that, that I find is that they did not take religion casually. They, they, it was the utmost importance. They, they, they thrust themselves into politics, but not because they cared about politics. It was because that they knew that they could shape Judaism or they knew that they couldn't protect Judaism if they weren't engaged in politics. Right? See, that's how they knew they would do anything they could to protect Judaism. They did not take it casually. Holiness was extremely important. Or right living. That was their goal. That was what they preached and they wanted everybody else to do was to live right. That's an admirable quality. They had a strong desire to protect Judaism from pagan cultural influences. I mean, let's put ourselves in, that sh in their shoes today. We as a church have the same desire, do we not, to protect our congregants, our children, those that we love, our brothers and sisters from pagan or sinful cultural practices. We talk about it all the time. And we even thrust ourselves, which is not wrong, into politics in an effort to protect godly ways of living. Again, admirable qualities. They believed and taught the resurrection from the dead. That was very important. Because the Sadducees, the, the upper elitist class of, of, that would come from priests, did not. they denied the power of the resurrection. The Pharisees stood strongly, devoutly, for the resurrection of the dead, a life after this life. That was not easy for them to do. Matthew 23, 24 says, You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. He uses this exaggeration here to capture our minds. So they were so interested in, like I said, tithing from their herb garden to honor God. Gnats and flies and pests were considered unclean. Well, a camel, because it chews its own cud, was unclean too. So what he accuses them of here, he says, you guys will take a glass of water, and before you drink it, you'll strain it through a cloth. Because you don't want to defile yourself with a gnat, but yet you'll swallow a camel. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy that they didn't realize that about themselves. 
So Deuteronomy chapter 5 has the Ten Commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments is the instruction on the Sabbath. How to keep the Sabbath, if you recall. One of the things that the Pharisees would do in creating this double fence, if you will, this parameter around God's fence, is they would create an oral law to protect the written law. I'll give you an example. Deuteronomy 5 talks about keeping the Sabbath. And so it's not real detailed there in Deuteronomy chapter 5, right? He says, rest. But it's interesting that the reason that he tells them to rest is because do you not remember that you were slaves in Egypt? It wasn't, he didn't tell them to rest because he wanted to institute a rule that they just had to obey. Does that make sense? It wasn't just to, to, to tie their hands and to see, hey, let's see if they'll actually do this. God said, you were slaves in Egypt. Do you not remember that? You didn't get days off in Egypt. You didn't get to take breaks. You were a slave to the Egyptians. I'm going to give you a day of rest. What a blessing. I want to give you a day of rest. I want to show you that I have been good to you as a reminder I want you to rest. That's, that's amazing. And they said, okay, let's protect that. So they defined in great detail what it meant to work. Don't walk so far. Don't cook. Don't do this. I mean, a whole list of oral requirements to protect this law that God put in place. This law this guide, this commandment to protect them, to encourage them, to remember that they were God's people. And they ruined it by creating all these other rules behind it. That's what they did. That's what the oral law was. Remember when he said that you teach the commandments and the traditions of your elders, but you forget the weightier matters of the law? You, you have taken what God instituted as a beautiful thing in this day of rest, and you have turned it into a day to worry about, have I kept it perfectly? Did I do this? Did I, did I check this list? You forgot completely what, why God instituted it. I want to give you an example for us modern day. We at the fire station say that nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. Because it doesn't. Right? So imagine that we give our child, our 16-year-old driving age child, a curfew. Let's say it's 10 o'clock, right? Because as parents, we, we desire to protect them. We know that after 10 o'clock, really, a lot of good things don't happen. But what we do is we say being out after 10 o'clock is a sin. It's sinful. It's wrong. So that child grows up, becomes an adult, and now being out after 10 is, is a sin, it's wrong. You see, that's what they did. They took something that God intended to benefit and they turned it into a sin. They created laws where God did not create laws. Yeah, as a parent, we institute a curfew to protect our children. God instituted a law to protect His children. 
But the Pharisees went above and beyond and created laws above that and beyond that and placed burdens, as we read before. You, they, they place these burdens, these weights on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have a curfew, kids. Okay? It just means that nothing good happens after 10. Trust me. I see it. But that's the type of thing they did. They did it to protect, in their mind, again, in their mind, their intentions were amazing. Their, their intentions were not evil in the, in the least. So what lessons can we learn for us today? While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. This was a, a, you know, we don't know if this was a, a attack on Jesus or if this was a sincere opportunity because there were those that, even among the Pharisees, that were intrigued by Jesus in a positive way and wanted to really understand him. Nicodemus being one uh, particular. No indication that this is Nicodemus, but the Pharisee was a was astonished to see that he did not first wash his hands before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you clean, cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside of the cup outside make the inside also? But give, give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. If the inside of the cup is clean, everything else is clean. He was using these, again, this was that ceremonially, they wanted to uphold the washings and the cleansing rituals of, of the priests. So when Jesus came in and his disciples, or he didn't wash his hands, this was a big deal to them. Do you not? So they equated the oral law to the written law. And if you, if you break the oral law, then you disregard God's commandments. They went above and beyond. So. We see in Mark 7, 6, and he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of the hypocrites, as is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So what's the lesson for us today is to examine ourselves and consider our motivation. The Pharisees had no idea that they were wrong, I believe. They had no idea that their intentions, I believe they believed wholeheartedly in their intentions. I do. And I believe that they were surprised when Jesus spoke to them the way he did. Good works are performed not for the sake of others. What looks pious to the outsiders can easily mask intense selfishness and self-centeredness. A person who is motivated by greed an inner longing for greater wealth, more things, we have a serious problem. If greed is a root sin, then everything gets twisted to meet our own desires. I think that's what happened to them. They fell into that trap. And then we have this mindset like the Pharisees, people, people, proselytes, those in the world become tools, a means to an end. Not really important in themselves, but important to how I can use them, how effective they can be for me. But only 
and what they can do for the greedy person. Right? They devalued people because they, they, they well, well, what can they do for me? How can they make me look more pious or more righteous? That was their mindset. They were doing more damage, as we found by what Jesus said, to the kingdom by being pretenders. They were doing more damage by wearing a mask. We see that, well, some would look at the exchanges with the Pharisees, and I've actually heard it argued that well, God really isn't important. It, it does, it's not really important to God that we obey His commands. You can see here from the exchanges with the Pharisees, it's not about obedience, is what some people would say, right? Here's proof that obedience doesn't do anything for you as Christians. Well, that's a false argument. Because remember, Jesus said, do what the Pharisees say, just don't do what they do. Don't pretend. Here's an example in what one of the last things Jesus tells us. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And number two, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. This exchange with the Pharisees, and it wasn't God's commands that were the problem. It was man's commands on top of God's commands that were the problem. It's the same for us today. It's God's commands still stand, and our obedience to Him is still as important today as it was then. We just have to be careful that we don't bind on men, mankind, those who we go to, bind on them extra. Things that God didn't prescribe. Teaching them to observe all things. This is not an out for obedience. Okay, A lot of people will use this as that. I'm not saying you will, but... It, uh, there are people who do. Were they condemned? Were the Pharisees condemned for being too good? Did Jesus say, "Look, guys, you know these guys, you know, lighten up. You know, they're not that bad. Loosen up. Why? Why do you take my words so seriously?" That's Jesus never taught that lesson. They weren't condemned for obeying the law too closely. They were actually called out by Jesus for not obeying the law correctly, as God prescribed. They chose to ignore, as we read earlier, the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. We read in 1 John 14, 15, it should be First John 14, 15. No, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is not an out for obedience. We just must understand what God's commandments and His laws are. What else can we learn from it today? Do what you think. A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered and said, I will not. But then afterwards, he thought about it, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he didn't go. He says, Which of the two did the will of the Father? 
They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. He says that these tax collectors, these people who you ridicule and mock and find to be disgraceful, and prostitutes go into the kingdom of heaven before you. What was the distinction between the sin of the Pharisees and the sin of a prostitute? The sin of this tax collector? Why, why is it that the, the, the tax collector, this open sinner, right, morally objectionable person, why, why were they more likely to go into the kingdom of heaven than this Pharisee? I believe it's because those who live morally objectionable lives know it. Typically, they're well aware of it. They're ashamed of it, but they're aware of it. I believe that all these exchanges with the Pharisees prove that Jesus was the only one, the only one who could expose the heart of these men. No other person, no group of people could come up against them, but Jesus had to expose the heart of the Pharisee. The, the Pharisees, are, I believe their overall problem, and this is where it all lies, when you say, what's so bad about the Pharisees? I believe that it's they made themselves and their rules the standard by which righteousness was judged. They said, do you look like me? Do you act like me? Do you say the same things I do? Do you keep the same rites and rituals, the cleanliness rules? Do you do all those things like me? And that was their standard for righteousness. Why is this applicable to us today? We're obviously not Pharisees. I believe that there is a heart of a Pharisee potentially in each one of us. I really do. And I think it's mentioned so much and dealt with so much with Jesus' interaction in the New Testament to prove to us that it is there. That the potential is there for us, especially as the body of Christ today, to be just like the Pharisees. The potential is there. And the problem, what's so scary about it is, again, the prostitute knows, the tax collector knows they have a conscience that's guilty of it. But oftentimes a Pharisee is blind. That's why Jesus says, you blind guides. This Pharisaical heart that potentially can be within me and all of us is really difficult for us to examine. It's difficult for us to see. And the only way that we can find it, the only way that we can root it out is for us to compare ourselves to Jesus. That's it. Not laws, not man's, what man says is right, but to compare our lives to Jesus Christ. And he will expose the pharisaical heart within us. Or he'll expose this uh, sinful lifestyle or practices that we might engage in. 
But it's only when we can compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And that's it. Sinners, I mean those who engage in immoral lifestyles, they naturally devalue themselves, I think. We've all been there. They naturally have, have a, a loss of self-worth. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, their problem was that they placed too much value on themselves. They thought too highly of themselves. So we've got to remember that Jesus is a standard of measurement, and we must only compare ourselves to him. That's it. We have to compare ourselves to Jesus. That's it. Not each other. Not other churches. Not men or women of the Bible. We have to compare ourselves to Him. He will expose our hearts if there's an issue. Therefore, since we, have surrounded, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. He says here to looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the only one that we can compare ourselves to. Anybody else, we're wasting our time. And not, not only that, but on top of that, he's the only one that we should encourage others to compare themselves with. We've got to be careful that we aren't the standard of measure for others that are coming to the Christian faith. You know, you have to look like me, act like me, dress like me, talk like me, live the same life I do. No, we compare what it looks like to be a Christian to the life of Jesus and not to ourselves. Or we can be just like the Pharisees, making them twice as much a child of hell as ourselves if we are pretending. As we read before in Luke chapter 16, He talked about the the Pharisees being lovers of money. They ridiculed Jesus and they said to him, he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. God knew the hearts of the Pharisees and he wanted them to be exposed to their own heart and what was wrong with it. But I believe that the Pharisees weren't the problem, it was the heart of the Pharisees. It was their desires, their selfishness, their desire to be seen of man. And it's really easy for you and I to separate ourselves from the Pharisees. They were a group of men a long time ago. They were obviously corrupt and evil. But again, I believe, I do believe that the heart of a Pharisee, we each have the potential to have it. And I think it's more dangerous to us as Christians than this this immoral lifestyle that, that is out there. So as we safeguard our church, our children... We obviously don't want them to partake in immoral life practices. We preach that and we teach that and we protect them. But we also must protect them from having the heart of a Pharisee. That we think too highly of ourselves. That we think that we are the standard of measure of Christianity. When we are all like filthy rags. <laughs> right? We bring people in so that they can be more like Jesus, not more like us. 1 John addresses this briefly. Little children, let, not, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whether our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. 
Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another, just as He commanded. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this, we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. God has given us a conscience, a heart that can condemn us, that lets us know when we're erring. The danger is the Pharisees were blind to that heart. They were righteous. They were the holy ones. They set the standard. So, I guess in speaking to fellow Christians, predominantly, I think the danger is that we can develop pharisaical hearts. We look at ourselves as a separated group, and we see those out there in the world, heathens, you know, these pagans, these people that... Witch, witchcraft is actually a thing in the world today. Actually a thing. I just want us to have the heart that Jesus had towards those people, realizing that we were no different than witchcraft, worshiping witchcraft. Right? The danger is that we become Pharisees, not that we, not just that we go and study witchcraft or worship idols. The heart of the Pharisee, I believe, is predominantly the danger that we face as, Christ, face as Christians today. And it's so hard to see. I would encourage you also that as you Examine your heart and you go throughout your life and you see people that you think, well, he's a Pharisee. I can tell that group's a Pharisaical group that we don't have a heart of a Pharisee while judging and saying they're a Pharisee. That's why it's so challenging. And that's why we have to constantly bring ourselves back to comparing to Jesus. Because everything else is a fraud. And everything else will deceive us and make us think that we're better than we are. Or we'll bring this person down because they're a Pharisee. I can't believe that group of individuals that would think that highly of themselves. While we're doing the exact same thing. So we have that challenge of not judging people for being Pharisees. And also not judging this group of people for being some pagan, heathen group of people that don't deserve forgiveness. Unless they look like us, act like us, talk like us. So, my whole point in this and studying why were the Pharisees so bad because I wanted to understand my inclination to be like them. Because I believe I had that within me. I believe we have it within us. And it's dangerous. God knows our hearts. We must compare ourselves continually to Him and not to what we think. Ever to what we think. Examine your heart this morning. If there's a root of the Pharisee, Pharisaical heart within you this morning, purge it out. And we can do that by looking into the cross and realizing that He died on the cross for us. My sins put Him on the cross. My Pharisaical mindset, my immoral practices in life put Him on the cross. No different than anybody else. We're all in the same boat. If your heart condemns you this morning because of hidden sin or because of obvious lifestyle sin, Jesus offers to forgive and wipe away both equally.
The front pews are left open for you to come forward and receive encouragement from the church and help from the body as we stand for the invitation song. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.